All right, good morning. You guys came ready. Well done. Hey, will you just join me? Thank the team this morning for leading us. Well, LifePoint family, uh, welcome back. I'm glad to see you. I've missed you. I'm grateful to be with you uh, this morning. Thrilled to be in the newly expanded uh, space here. Uh, guests, if you are brand new this morning, uh, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, on the chairs in front of you, I think we got all of them out in time. There are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. Feel free if you're new, you're kind of wondering, can I pull my smartphone out in church? The answer is yes. Uh, go ahead and use that QR code or just type in lpguest.com. Uh, we would love to help you uh, just sort of connect with us, and we would love to be able to connect with you. So there at lpguest.com, there's a bunch of info for the morning, a listening guide there for the morning. You can take notes as we go along in our text this morning. And there's also a guest information card. If you wouldn't mind just taking a moment and filling that out, we would love to be able to connect with you in person and uh, online. Um, before we kind of jump into anything else, so scripture talks about just honoring those uh, to whom honor is due. And so there were a bunch of folks in the last couple of weeks and over the last few months who have just worked super hard to make sure things were operational. You'll notice uh, there's things, uh, floors not finished, there's some paint that needs to be done, some signage that we're missing. And so there are definitely going to be things we're dialing the knobs on in the weeks and in the months to come uh, to sort of uh, fix a few things. But there were some folks who stayed up uh, some late nights, really early mornings. And so I just want to take a moment and say thanks to those folks. So a whole crew of volunteers, you know who you are, the folks who came in and hung the sound panels and cleaned chairs, literally vacuumed chairs individually, who swept floors, who moved chairs, and then we would move them again and undo all of their work, and then they'd redo it again. And so volunteers, thank you, thank you, thank you to our construction company. Yes, man, thank you. Um, to our, to our construction company, they have been phenomenal. Lehman Damon and the AV company, the AVL company, House Right, they flew in this week and have stayed up late, late nights making sure that this was ready to the whole staff. Our staff put in extra hours in the last few weeks making sure, and specifically just want to say, I think all of our staff put in extra hours. Uh, Alex and Josh, uh, I don't think those guys have slept a whole lot. And so thank you guys for all of your work in getting this done. And, and then... Uh, Two, two others, just want to say thank you to uh, Kevin. Pastor Kevin is quarterback to this project for about six to nine months now. So he's been putting in time. And JC, I see you. Uh, you're going to hate this, but JC, will you stand up real quick? So JC is our, uh, he's our uh, construction manager on Lehman Damon side and a member here and has just done a phenomenal job. And, uh, and Kevin as well, wherever you are, he probably won't let me make him stand. But uh, thank you, man, for all the work. Come on, stand up, Kevin. So thank you for your work as well. So appreciate it. All right. I want to I wanna start off just praying together. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I know for some of us, there's a ton of excitement, God. We love new things. And for others of us, we struggle with change. And so, God, we just acknowledge that before you this morning, that for some of us, it's just exuberance and excitement. And for some of us, there's that little feeling of, man, um, I miss this, or this is hard. And God, we, re we are reminded, and I'm reminded this morning, of why do we, why we do these things. Why do we expand a space? Why do we go through the work? Uh, God, it is because you're worthy of it, because you continue to grow this family, and we want to see as many people in this community as possible come to know and love Jesus. And so, Father, uh, wherever our hearts are this morning, I pray that you'd turn our eyes and our hearts right on you, and that, God, your worthiness and your goodness and what you've done for us through your Son 
would just be front and center this morning. And then the mission, as we'll talk about this morning, the mission of what you've called us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, starting right here in our own community. God, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to gather and meet. I hope the last couple of weeks have reminded us not to take that for granted. And so we thank you for the ability to gather as a family, to sing to you, to sit under your word, and to encourage one another. And God, we have said it many times, facilities don't disciple people. People disciple people. But God, we believe that facilities can help facilitate the mission. And so, uh, God, I ask and we ask right now that you would take this facility uh, and you would use it for the sake of your kingdom to bring glory to your name and to draw many people to yourself. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. All right. Well, if you've got a Bible, you can turn up, turn open it to Matthew 28. We're also going to be in Genesis 12 this morning. So um, as we talk about reaching people with the good news of Jesus, we're kicking off today a three-week series. It's a series we actually do every year pretty much. It's called our Wide Open World Missions Series. And so for a few weeks here, we're going to look, uh, we're going to look at some Old Testament figures who took some just significant steps of faith in saying yes to the Lord, sometimes even in spite of the circumstances. And we're also going to center the whole series on Matthew 28 and really ask this question of, hey, what are we supposed to be doing as the people of God? Matthew 28 shows us this, right? What are we supposed to be doing as the people of God? What's the, what's the job description of the church? What is the primary task to which Jesus has called us to give our attention and our time and our resources and our lives? Well, Jesus tells us, Matthew 28, right before he ascends back into heaven to be with the Father, he has been crucified and then resurrected for your sin and for mine. Then he gathers up a group. It's only 11 11 guys, 11 apostles, and then Acts tells us the whole company of believers, all the men and women together are 120 people. So it's not a large group of people. And he gathers these 120, and this is what he says to them. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now I want you to note something, right? Notice that the command, the job description he's given us, make disciples, is couched in these two incredibly encouraging statements. Jesus saying, hey, one, all authority has been given to me. I'm in charge. And then he says, go make disciples. And then what's the second thing he says? And I'll be with you. I'll always be with you. My Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of Jesus will be with you to empower you to do what Jesus has called us to do. And note this, on the flip side, Jesus talks a fair bit about, hey, I'm in charge, I'll be with you. He says nothing about the ability of the disciples. He doesn't say anything about, man, you guys are really, I, I just have such confidence in you, your abilities, you guys are so smart, you're going to do this. He doesn't say any of those things because honestly, if you were to just focus on the disciples and on the task that he's given them, you would say, it's not possible. Think about the enormity of the task and the lack of resources that the disciples have. There's only 120 of them and Jesus gathers them up and says, I want you to go make disciples. And you can almost imagine them saying, great, where? And he's like, everywhere. 
So I was thinking about it this week. This would be like a, a mom and pop restaurant, right, in a, in a town, and, you, and they don't have any other locations. That's the only location. And you look at them and you say, what's your mission? And if they looked at you and said, our mission is to be the best mom and pop restaurant in our community, I think we would say, awesome, that makes sense. If they look back at you and said, we want to transform the world through food service, you might look at them and say, that's a really big mission. How are you going to accomplish that? I mean, that's, that's awesome, but, but How? And that's basically where the disciples are. How many, how many local churches exist at this moment? I mean, one, basically, right? Argue, I mean, you could argue this, this group right now. How many facilities do they have across the Roman Empire? Zero. How many churches, uh, church partnerships have they formed? Zero. How many seminaries do they have to train up pastors? And Zero. They don't have books or resources or tracks or online platforms. The printing press won't be uh, invented for another 1,500 years. The on online, another 2,000 years. I mean, they've got very little to sit on and say, I bet we can do this. All they've got is Jesus saying, hey, I'm in charge and I'll be with you. And that's enough. And those 120 go out and here we are 2,000 years later still doing what Jesus has called us to do. The point being... It's not about our ability or our resources or our confidence in ourselves. This is the big idea of the whole series. We say yes, not because we're able, but because God is faithful. We say yes to what he's called us to do. And I hope we'll see this collectively. And I hope you think about it and see it personally as well. You say yes to what God has called you to do. Not because you look at yourself and say, man, I just, I'm educated enough or I have enough resources. I, I think I'm mature enough. We say yes because God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And he's called us to this. Now, we're going to, again, kind of park there each week and start there in Matthew 28. And then we're going to look at some Old Testament figures who illustrate this principle of saying yes to God when he calls them to do some seemingly insurmountable things, but they say yes, not based on their own ability, but based on the faithfulness of God. The first one that we'll take a look at, Genesis 12, good old father Abraham, perhaps the preeminent example of this in the Old Testament. If you're here and you're a believer, a believer, been walking with Jesus for some time, you know Abraham. He was called Abram, later renamed Abraham. If you're new to the faith, so this is the moment. Abraham is the guy that God uses to start the Jewish people or the Jewish nation. And so in Genesis 12 is the moment where it kind of goes from macro and it zooms into micro. You start, if you read the Bible, starts with the creation of the world and then the flooding of the world with Noah. And then, and then right after that, you've got this moment where everything zooms in on this one guy and his family, Abraham and Sarah. And God chooses this one guy and his family. And he says, through you, as we're going to see, I'm going to bless all the nations. This seemingly incredible in scope and size promise. And he says, through you. But as we're going to see, he first tells him to do something. And Abraham is willing to say yes. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go. There's that word again, just like in Matthew 28. Go. From your country, your people, and your father's household to the land, I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Please note here, and you can circle it, all the eyes. God, it's not, he's not talking so much about Abraham as he's talking about what I'm going to do for you and through you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, and here's that, here's the incredible global scope promise, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. By the way, I'm just going to park there and say something really quickly. Um, statistically speaking, the people who are most likely, the most folks we see most go out on mission, particularly in long-term mission trips, are young folks. And there's many, many reasons for that, right? Some of our uh, college and 1825 students going out into the mission field, and praise God, I'm excited about that. And I'll say this, Abram's 75. He's not a young man. So folks who are maybe in the later stages of life, praise God that it's some of our younger folks who are willing to say yes and go wherever God sends them, and God still has a plan for you in the later years of your life. And it is not to just coast until you die or King Jesus comes back and gets you. We need you. God, God is using you, and he has a plan for you till the very day that he calls you home. All right? Abram 75, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Here's the thing I want to point out. Abraham looked to God's promises, not his circumstances. Abraham looked to God's promises, not his circumstances. Why is that, in so, why is that so important? Because nothing about his circumstances would indicate that this is a good idea. God comes to him and says, Abram, you're 75 years old, right? You don't have any kids. You and your wife haven't been able to have children. And yet he says, I'm promising you that through you, your, your offspring, as we're going to see here in a little bit, he says, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars. How's that going to happen, God? We don't know yet. He says, I'm going to send you out to a land you don't even know yet. And I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth. Go ahead and pick up everything you have and leave. Look, it's still a big deal. Even in 2023, it's still a big deal for you or for me to pick up and move to the other side of town or to the other side of the state or across the country. Anyone who's done that, you know, it's a big deal. Even a bigger deal at this point in time. God just told this man to move hundreds of miles away from everything that he's known from his family, other than his kind of immediate family and his nephew. He's leaving his father's, I mean, at this point in time, land, clan, tribe, people, family, that's everything. That's your security. That's your livelihood. That's all that you know. And God says, I want you to pick up and I want you to go. And for the planners among us, this is a nightmare, right? For those of us who are like, I'm willing to do it. Just give me all the steps. What does God give him? To a land that I will show you. How many of you right, right now, you're like, I would do it. And God's like, all right, pick up and move. Great, God, where? I'll tell you when you get there. How many of us, you're like, you know, God's like, pick up and move, go here. And you're like, awesome, what am I going to do when I get there? I'll tell you when you get there. I just want you to trust me. Yeah, but God, I need details. <laughs> no, you don't. You need me. God, I need to know what the plan is. No, you don't. You need to trust me. And I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. You just trust me. Abraham, right? A lot Abraham gets wrong in his life. These are some of the moments that he got right, where he trusted the Lord and said, okay, God said go, and he picks up and he goes. He's living out in this moment, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, verse 7. 
that we walk by faith. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say this, and Abraham, before it was even said, was living this out. We walk by faith and not by sight. That we walk as the people of God, we walk by faith and not by sight. You might, you might have heard that phrase. You might have it written somewhere on your walls. But do you know what it means? Do you know what that phrase, what does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? What does it mean to walk by faith? So we've said this many times. I'm going to keep saying it. Faith, faith is not a generally positive attitude toward life. It's far more than that. Faith is not just a kind of positive outlook that says, you know what, I'm sure everything will work out in the end. Faith isn't believing in things that don't make sense. Faith is trusting God. Faith is believing God and believing his promises and then doing what he says, right? That obedience is evidence of the faith. The willingness to say, God, when you say go, I'll go. When you say to do this, I'll do that. When you say not to do that, I'll do that. And I may not understand all of it. I can't see everything that's happening right now. I don't see how all of this is going to work out. Abraham doesn't have much to go on. If he focused on his circumstances, he would have probably just quit. But instead... He focuses on the faithfulness of God and on his promises. And walking by faith is saying, you know what? When I can't see how all of this, I don't know all of how the circumstances are gonna change. I don't see, I don't see where the resources are gonna come from. Lord, I don't see where the time's gonna come from. Lord, I'm not sure I know enough or feel like I'm enough to do this, but we say yes, why? Because God is faithful and we trust him. There's another moment where Abraham, between the Lord and Abraham, where Abraham exhibits this. So Genesis chapter 15, verse one, it's been some years later. Abraham's faith seems to be wavering a little bit and God comes to him. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I just love this. This is, a, this is a moment in Abram's life where he seems like he's maybe faltering a little bit. Lord, it's been years. I'm here now. We still don't have a kid. I don't know how this is going to work out. Lord, you've promised me a child, an offspring, and a land, but all I see is we still don't have a kid, and there's a bunch of people who live in this land who don't like me. How, Lord, how is all this going to work out? How are you going to fulfill that thing you said to me about blessing all the peoples of the world through me? Because I can't see. In fact, what Abraham says back to God, he says, God, right now I don't have any kids. All my stuff's going to go to one of the guys that I've hired. Like he's going to be my heir. And God takes him outside. And I love this. God speaks to Abraham in the way that he needs to hear. God is not just the God of mission. He's also the God of relationship. And he knows what we need when we need it. So he takes Abraham outside, verse five. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. For any of us who have gone out into the night sky, right outside the suburbs and you've gone into the country and you look up at the night sky and just the, the star-studded night sky, God takes him out and says, I want you to look up at that as a visual reminder here, Abraham. I want you to see if you can count them. And he then says, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. You'll have that many kids, that many descendants. And as later the New Testament teaches us, right, it's not just about physical descendant, but, but through faith. Everyone who trusts Jesus considered a descendant of Abraham. And listen to this, verse six. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God takes him outside, says, look up at the sky. I promise you, Abraham. And Abraham says, okay, I believe you, God. I can't see it yet, 
but I trust you. I can't see it with the physical eyes, but I'm gonna believe you and I'm gonna see it through the eyes of faith. Again, Abraham did not get everything right in his life. He made some terrible mistakes. But what he got right was when God spoke and promised him something, he took him at his word. The apostle Paul would later quote that verse as proof that when we trust the Lord, he says it credited to us as righteousness, that what does God demand of us? But to believe in his son, to trust him and then to obey him. Some of you, by the way, some of you came in today and, and maybe you're not a Christian and someone has invited you here. You've been coming and you're listening and you're interested in, hey, what is the faith? But I hear this all the time. It's just deeply ingrained in us as human beings seemingly and then in our culture in particular where you think, if I'm gonna become a Christian, it's something like, uh, um, don't do this. Don't, I need to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop cussing. I need to start going to church and maybe start reading my Bible and maybe start, I don't know, giving them some resources or my time. And, and you've got this list of stuff you think you're supposed to start doing and that you need to stop doing and that's what's going to make you a Christian. And listen, I say this as clearly as I can. Yeah, when you start to follow Jesus, there's some stuff you stop doing and there's some stuff you start doing in order to grow that relationship and be obedient to him. But the first thing, the crucial thing, the thing that makes you a Christian is not what you stop doing and start doing, but the fact that you trust in what Jesus has done for you. God sent his son for you, for you, and he says, man, what is it? What is the will of God? But to believe in him, to trust his son, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that you might be washed clean. And then he rose again, defeating death and hell. And he says, look, will you trust me? Will you turn from sin and trust me with your life? And yeah, and there are some things you'll stop doing and things you'll start doing in order to guard and grow that relationship. But what it means to be a Christian is that you begin, you trust Jesus with your life. And then you do what he says. There are two questions I want to ask. I want to make this personal, right? Two questions. And the first one here is going to maybe seem like a little bit of a, hey, we're going back to the beginning and, and pivoting hard here. But just bear with me for a second, okay? Number one, what do you see as the overarching purpose of your life? Question number one, what do you see, you personally, as the overarching purpose of your life? Later on today, I've got the privilege, I'm gonna to speak to some graduating seniors. I'd appreciate if you would pray for me as I go speak to some graduating seniors and I'm gonna ask them this very question as they close out one chapter and they begin a new chapter of their life. Guys, what's the purpose of your life? Why are you here? And the reason I ask it right now, so here in a second, we're gonna go back to that, right? Are you, are you, I'm gonna ask the second question about are you trusting God, right? Uh, in his faithfulness or your ability and circumstances. But before we get there, we've got to establish this. Because it's all well and good if we say, man, I'm trusting for God's, I'm trusting his faithfulness. I'm claiming his promises. But if you're not living for his purposes, then you really can't claim his promises. We say that to you differently, right? Or just say it clearly. We can't claim God's power or his promises if we're not living for his purposes. Okay? We can't claim God's power or his promises if we're not living for his purposes. That's not the way, because let's just be honest, we all do this, right? Is, is we want to grab God's power and his promises, like, yes, and amen. But we want to grab those and then say, God, you're going to help me accomplish my plans. Do we not? I'm going to stand on God's power, I'm going to claim those promises, but I, I want them so that I can accomplish my purposes and my plans. God, here's what I'd really love to do. Here are the things that I'm going to do. Will you bless that? <laughs> rather than saying, Lord, what are you doing? And I want to be a part of that. Those are two very different things. 
Lord, here's my plans and my purposes and I need you to help me accomplish those things versus saying, hey God, what is your plan and your purpose? I wanna be a part of what you're doing. See, it's not, the Christian life is not so much going out and saying, God, I need you to help me you know, accomplish a bunch of things for you as much as it's saying, hey God, what are you at work? Where are you at work? And I wanna join you in that. I wanna live out the purpose and plan you have for my life, for us as a people. And then as we do that, as we say, God, here we are, use us. As we sang earlier, I'm available, broken as I am, broken as we are, I'm available, we're available, use us. We can stand on God's promises and his power when we're living for his purposes and his plans. So what is the overarching purpose of your life? What are you living for? And if you're like, okay, I'll just, well, what should I be living for? You may know the answer to that. You may be thinking about what you're actually living for, but I would point you back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we read it earlier. Make disciples. I would also point you to Matthew 22, as I'm gonna do for our graduating seniors later today. I'm taking them to the Great Commandment, where a guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I mean, what's the most important thing? Give it to me in one sentence. Jesus gives them two, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we say, hey, what are we supposed to be leveraging our lives for? What is the overarching grant? Why are you here? I would say it to you this way. Love God, love others, make disciples. Love God, love others, make disciples. Leverage your life for that. Some of us, we don't, know how, we don't know how long we have. Some of us, it's longer than others. Some of us, decades. Some of us, years. Some of us, maybe just months. I don't know. Leverage every one of them. Leverage every one of them for the sake of the Lord. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. And here's the beautiful thing. We will do that uniquely, each one of us. God will work in your life as you follow him, as you're led by the Holy Spirit. Some of us will go across the world here in a couple of minutes, I'm gonna invite Lindell up. We're gonna talk, our missions director, we're gonna talk for a few minutes about some of the things going on globally right now that we're a part of and that God's allowing us to be a part of. Some of us will be a part of that. We sent 84 people this year. And the next year, we're hoping to send 150. Some of us will be a part of that. Some of us, it's not going across the world for you. It's just going across the street and striking up a conversation with your neighbor. And I, I totally get it. You're like, Kale, it's been four years and I don't know their name, right? So we're in the awkward zone now, right? Where you're like, hey, you know, and they say your name and you're like, hey, you know, and, and you don't know what to do. I'm just gonna offer you something, right? It's awkward and it's hard. Go over, knock on the door and say, hey, we've been neighbors for four years and I'm embarrassed, I don't know your name. And you just start a conversation. I, I get it, like it's awkward. But on the flip side, let's ask the question, is Jesus worth it? <laughs> yes, he is. Some of us, we don't, it's going across the world. Some of us going across the street. Some of us just going out those doors, finding Ann Lown and saying, hey, I'll serve. LifePoint Kids. As we expand, I was reminded of this this week as I was reading the Great Commission. So often, self-included, I think of that only in the, in the global go sense, right? We're supposed to make disciples and, and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded them. And yes, going far away and proclaiming the gospel to people who have never heard that, even going here, proclaiming to people who have never heard, that's part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And also teaching small children who maybe have never heard the gospel or just teaching children to obey Jesus and what Jesus said and helping them learn to follow Jesus, that's also fulfilling the Great Commission. Every time we gather here and we teach the next generation, we pass the faith on to them, that's part of fulfilling the Great Commission. For some of us, it's just, hey, go serve. 
Go, go invest in the life of a child and help them know and follow Jesus. Love God, love others, make disciples. But if we're going to do that, we've got to embrace that as our mission. And so I would ask you to do a little reflection today on, man, what are you living for? What consumes your time and your resources and your thoughts? Is it love God, love others, make disciples? Or have maybe you've gotten distracted by something, something else? Second question is this. Are you focusing on God's faithfulness or on your circumstances and abilities? And I might put in addition to that, or lack of ability. Because some of us feel that way. Some of us, you hear me talk about making disciples or sharing the gospel or serving kids and teaching the next generation. You think, I could never do that. I don't know enough. I'm not that type of personality. I'm not outgoing. I haven't been walking with Jesus long enough. And I would just remind you of the big idea of this series and something we see across all the pages of scripture. We don't say yes because we feel like we're super competent or have enough resources or because of our abilities or circumstances. We say yes because God is faithful and he's able. So if you sense, right, the Lord is speaking to you and you're saying, man, I know what that next step is, (laughs) write it down and then say, Lord, help me to take a step not to be afraid, but to just leverage my life for you. Be willing to say yes to what the Lord has called you to do. I'm gonna invite Lindell. Lindell, if you'd come on up. Um, she's, she and I are gonna speak. As she comes up, you're gonna see some footage of our most recent trip uh, to Malawi and our partnership there. So go ahead and watch that for a second as Lindell comes up and we'll talk through just for a little while some of our time uh, in Malawi. Uh, Lindell has been serving now uh, as our missions director uh, in a part-time capacity, a robustly part-time capacity, and uh, she will be going full-time, I think, in July, right, of this year, and so we're thrilled. Say that again? I said, that's right. That's right, boss, yeah. (laughs) So we are thrilled to have her just on the team. I feel like Lindell has done an incredible job in helping us move forward uh, locally, domestically, and globally, just in living out the Great Commission as a church in each of these areas. So uh, we're going to chat just for a second. We want to highlight some of what's happening in Malawi right now as just one part of what we see God doing sort of across the globe and what he's inviting us to be a part of. So first off, thanks for coming up. Will you just give folks, a lot of our folks probably don't know, um, maybe where is Malawi? Uh, And then secondly, uh, some of us, right, don't love geography, but also just our partnership there and and what God is doing. Okay. Well, first of all, I had to look it up too. So Um, finish line is uh, in Malawi, which is in Southeast Africa. And it is a wonderful partnership that we partner with. And um, what we do there is uh, they have an orphan and day school, and then they also have a men's Bible institute. So they're pouring not only into the kids and showing them Jesus' love, but then they're going out and training people to be disciples and go out and start their own churches. So um, we were asked as a church since we hadn't been there for, well, we actually asked them what we could do since we hadn't been there in three years, what they really needed. And Yohani, the director there, said, I really think that we need to equip the women in the women's ministry. So um, we were asked to form a team, and there was a team of four ladies, including me, um, that went over there, and we were tasked to um, equip and empower these ladies and to um, go out into the villages and just talk to their ladies about Jesus 
And uh, that's, yeah, that yeah. We, we did that. I hope you caught to something she said in there. So one of the things that I'm super grateful for in our approach as a church is we try not to look at our partners and say, hey, here's what we're going to do for you. Isn't that great? Whether they mm-hmm. want that or not. But we try to ask that question, what do you need? How, how can we serve you best? And so as you guys got a chance to go over there, so sometimes in a lot of our uh, mission trips, it's a lot of planting. It's a lot of watering the seed, and we don't always get to see uh, the harvest of that because it's really the local churches there doing a lot of that. This was one of those unique times where we got to see uh, just sort of a, an extraordinary harvest. So would you just share a little bit about kind of what the results of the trip was? Yeah, so like I said, we went to three different villages. Um, they were, it's a very long drive out into the bush, three hours there and then three hours back. Um, but all together, we spoke to about 1,400 women Um, through those three days and then um, we were just so privileged to be able to see 234 women give their lives to Christ yeah amen so yeah amen that's awesome so So, what's what's important to us as well is you have these events right that are sort of these catalytic events and 230 some women profess faith in Christ and what our goal it's not great see you later, but there are local churches there and local pastors there and local ministries there now who come alongside of those women and help them in their next steps in their walk uh, with Jesus. And so one of the things we also say about going on a trip is that, man, it's, it's not just about what God wants to do through us. And this is whether it's going on a trip or serving on a team in the Christian life, it's God is doing stuff through us and God is also simultaneously doing stuff in us that he's changing us through those experiences. So can you speak just a little bit to how has going and being a part of these things um, changed maybe you and your approach to discipleship here? Well, first of all, um, when I was doing a Bible study the other day, I thought this was very applicable. Um, Hosanna Wong was giving a little reading on Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what she said was, um, physically going isn't necessarily what this verse is talking about, um, because this is our Jerusalem, and Mm. we can serve here, and the Great Commission talks about Um, you know, here as well as domestically and globally. So going out and doing those things doesn't have to be going halfway around the world. Like Kale said, it can be um, serving back in LPK or serving on one of the life teams here. Um, So as far as um, how it's changed my life, um, I feel like it's, when when you go on a mission trip, especially a short-term mission trip, you're there for just a short amount of time and your focus is totally on the mission there. You don't have a lot of distractions like you would here. Um, so for me, it's just being intentional when I come back and not to just get distracted by life and to be um, on mission here as well and just to focus on um, the relationships I have or like you said, to make sure that you are intentional about your neighbors, talking to your neighbors, talking to people around you and telling them about the love of Jesus here too. Yeah, I feel like we hear from a lot of folks when they go, it's that, man, if I can do that there, why, what needs to change here as far as my approach? Why can't I live that out here as well? Finally, the big idea of the whole series, right? We say yes because God is faithful, not necessarily because we're able. Um, 
How comfortable are you with public speaking? <laughs> not, not really very well at all. Um, as a matter of fact, um, one of my friends, Angie, about 13 years ago asked me to speak at a women's conference that LifePoint was putting on. And um, I didn't sleep the night before, and I cried and cried the, um, that night, the day, the day of, and two of my friends prayed over me because I was so nervous. And um, because of that, because, of, well, first of all, I thought, if people knew who I really was, then they wouldn't like me. Because they were asking you to share your testimony, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah, your I was life. sharing my testimony. So mm. um, I grew up not being in a church that was very vulnerable. So telling all your bad stuff was like something you just didn't do. So uh, out of my nervousness, though, I was able to do it, crying through the whole thing. And... Um, but, you know, it was great because the women were very receptive. They appreciated my vulnerability. And through that, um, it was just a very um, freeing experience to be able to like, oh, wow, I can actually do this and people will still like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then 13 years later, the opportunity to speak to 1,400 women yes. right over the course of a few days, even though you don't feel like that's particularly your sweet spot or your gifting. Yes. And seeing hundreds of women respond to the gospel. I think it's just a great illustration of the principle today that it's not about us feeling like, yes, that's really what I'm, I'm, I feel so confident in that area. It's us saying yes to what God has called us and asked us to do. Once again, I feel like, Lindell, uh, you're doing a fantastic job. I feel like she has helped us in the last year in so many ways move things forward at a local, domestic, and global area. So can you guys just thank Lindell for all she's doing? And, uh, thank you, Lindell. So... <clears throat> We're gonna, I'm going to close this out here with two, two other questions. Uh, well, excuse me, one question and then um, two applications. One of them a question, one of them just maybe something to, to pray toward. So here's the question. I've already said it uh, in some ways, but just to clarify, what is one step that I can take? This is a question I want you to ask yourself. What is one step I can take to better align my life with the Great Commission? That's what I want you to take a moment and even take... A few seconds now, think about it. What is one step I can take to better align my life with the Great Commission? You're here for a purpose. Your life is not an accident. And God has placed you where you are, when you are, on purpose. And that purpose, as we said earlier, love God, love others, make disciples. What's one step you need to take today in the days to come to better align your life with the Great Commission. Maybe it's reprioritizing. Maybe it's starting something new. Maybe it's stopping something. I don't know. But I want you to ask and pray through that. What's one step you need to take to align your life with the Great Commission? And the second thing is this. So at the end of, uh, end of this series, on June 4th, right? If you're a part of LifePoint, you'll know, you know this is coming guests. I want to explain sort of what this is and why we do it. So we're going to be taking up the only public offering we take up in an entire year. All right, so I'm gonna ask that you pray toward our WOW missions offering on June 4th. So here's what this is. As a church, we set aside every single year, we set aside 10% or more of our budget to go out into the mission field. This is all in addition to that. All in addition to that, and it helps fund, our WOW missions offering helps fund and support our local partners across our city and community, our domestic partnerships, our church plants that we sponsor across the country in North America, and it helps us support also our global ministries like Finish Line, our global partners, and some campus launching, right, as we launch new campuses there, some startup costs that come with that that are just, they're heavy in the early days, and also to help get people on 
on the mission field. When a member of our church says, I want to go, traditionally, we have, we have tried to pay. Every year we've been able to do it. We've been able to help pay for 50% of that trip. And that's expensive to do, but we believe it's worth it. And so guests, if you're here 52 weeks this year, uh, 51 of those, we will not ask you to give anything, right? We believe that's the privilege and responsibility of our members and regular attenders. There's one Sunday, right, June 4th, um, that we ask, hey, unashamedly, we ask everyone to give because it's going back out in these ways to support and to help uh, just support the Great Commission locally, domestically, and globally. And so for those of us who are numbers folks, I want to give a few numbers to you. Over the last 12 months, right, over the last 12 months, we've sent 84 people into the global mission field to eight different cities, to five different countries, and we have had the privilege of seeing over 400 people respond to the gospel and faith. We've supported local, domestic, and global ministries all across the world. And here was last year's WOW offering, right? Last year's WOW offering, that Sunday and the week, we give everything that Sunday and the week after, given in person or online, it was $202,000. So as our missions team has prayed through, hey, what do we feel like God is calling us to do for the future? I, we ask them, guys, can you, can you compile some of this? And what we feel like God is calling us to do is we've grown as a church and that vision is growing and we feel like God is inviting us into more. We are hoping over the next 12 months to send 150 people into the global mission field, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Just had an opportunity as a church, as a staff, we prayed for a young man going out into the Middle East for months. And he's got such a cool story, right? It was part of the military. He said, at one point in time, I did not like these people. And then Jesus changed his heart. Now he's going to those same folks to share the gospel with them. We're hoping to send 149 more people right, like that into the global mission field, short-term, mid-term, long-term. We want to start two new global partnerships, three new church planting partnerships domestically. We'd like to see at least two people or two, full, two families go full-time with our national network or our international network. And we want to be able to continue all of our current support. We don't want to pull back from any of our local, domestic, or global partners. To do this, it'll be a little sticker shock here, right? So we ask, hey, what, what do we feel like the cost of that is going to be? And I think it's going to be this, 325000 all right? It, if you're a math major, that's larger than $202,000, right? <laughs> Here's the deal. We've grown a lot as a church. Last year, right, the beginning of 2022, there were three campuses, right? We're now at five and soon to plant the sixth campus. We've grown a lot. God has been very kind to us. I don't believe there's any reason we can't hit this. I don't believe there's any reason we can't do that. But it will require each of us not assuming someone else will sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It will require us saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? College students, you're like, Kale, I have negative $60,000. What do you want me to do with that, right? <laughs> Pray through it, right? Pray through it. Some of us, God has entrusted us with much. Others, not as much. And you know what? It doesn't matter the amount. What it matters is your obedience to the Lord and your willingness just to say, God, here I am. And in this capacity, use me. I'm gonna ask you to pray as we head towards June 4th. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. God, you have set your mission in front of us. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. And literally, Lord, in that text, it is every, every ethnicity, every ethne, every culture, every language, every people, until all have heard. God, keep us from getting distracted by lesser things.
Lord, keep us, guard us, please, from getting distracted by lesser things. Help us to commit ourselves fully as individuals, as families, and as a church to the cause of Christ. And Father, we do so with the promise that you're in charge and that you will be with us. God, some of us will be called into the global field. Some of us right now are thinking about taking a step to serve. Some of us are thinking about giving for the first time and it scares us. Obedience can be scary. Father, some of us are nervous and we don't feel like we're enough. And we're nervous about what you might ask us to give up. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that whatever we give up for the sake of Christ, it is not, it's not ultimately loss, it's gain. We gain you, Jesus. You have given your life for us, your blood shed on the cross. And as we sang earlier, nothing ultimately is a sacrifice when we think about what you've done for us. So God, give us faith and help us to walk in obedience. And Father, if there are any here this morning who have never walked in relationship with you, I pray today would be the day where they not only say, I wanna live out the mission of God, but I wanna walk and be known and know the God of mission. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.